0: I have a word from the Lord for you. I want to just give you the good report that God did an amazing thing in South Korea. Uh, We did the New Philadelphia uh, Church retreat. We have a powerful relationship with New Philadelphia Church in Seoul. And we we did their all-church retreat, all four of their campuses. Now they have a fourth campus in Sydney, Australia. Uh, they have a campus in, in, the, in Seoul proper, another campus in Itaewon, a third campus in southern, so, in the south of South Korea, in Busan, and now they have a fourth campus in Sydney, Australia. And all four campuses came together for this church-wide retreat. There was almost 400 people there for this church-wide retreat. I was the keynote speaker and uh, uh, um, Stephen Beauchamp from IHOP, he's the director of healing and deliverance at IHOP. He was there and he is a powerful man of God and we've already made plans for him to come out in January for the Living Hopes 10-year anniversary celebration. And so we're gonna have a little miniature revival for our 10-year anniversary. Now, Stephen Beauchamp, I gotta tell you about him for a second. Stephen Beauchamp was a part of the Brownsville revival for two years. He was there in Brownsville when the Spirit of God was poured out, he was in every single meeting. And they met. When the power of God fell, that church was falling apart. The pastor was so discouraged. John Kilpatrick, he just wanted to hang it up, hang up the towel. And he called his friend, an evangelist named Steve Hill. And it was Father's Day. And he said, look, I just can't do it. Father's Day, 1995. He said, I can't do it. I need you to come and preach for me on Father's Day. I just can't do it. Now, if, you're a senior, if you've are if ever been a senior pastor, you know you don't give up the pulpit on Father's Day, Easter. You know, I mean, these big holidays, you do not give up the pulpit. So if, if you ever come on an Easter and I'm not preaching, you know something is wrong. <laughs> okay. So it was Father's Day and a guest evangelist was preaching named Steve Hill. And John Kilpatrick was ready to hang up the towel, he was standing in the front row. And Steve Hill got up on the platform and all of a sudden the Spirit of God fell so mightily in that house and revival broke out on this little broken up church. The, 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 out, the aftermath of that was that people came for the next three years from all over the world. And from, from this that little tiny church where nobody wanted to go, all of a sudden, people were lined up around the block and around the block, I mean, circling the block two and three times every single day for several hours before the next service started waiting for the doors to open. And the moment the doors were open, the house was packed out and they had to turn away people at the door every single night for three years. That's how powerfully the power of God fell. Well, Steve Beauchamp said he was a drug addict and a drug dealer and he has some stories about, man, I mean, that guy, he was, he was, he was into some stuff. He came to that revival and was radically saved, went out and bought himself a picnic chair and set it up at the door and he'd get done with one meeting and he would go sit in that picnic chair, wait for the next meeting to start the next night. And he was there for two years. He went from being a drug addict to a Holy Spirit addict. <laughs> <laughs> and now he's a mighty man of God and he moves in signs and wonders and I mean, the, he, he moved so powerfully, the Holy Spirit fell so powerfully that he had services where everybody in the whole house was slain in the Spirit and laid out on the floor. I mean, literally the whole place was covered with bodies and And the power of God was falling so strongly. And so we're so excited to host him in January. We believe that God's going to use him to bring a mighty move of the Spirit of God to Living Hope Christian Center, to Emeryville, and to the Bay Area. Because I really believe that Emeryville is the next revival center in the world. I really believe that God is going... And God has been speaking to me about some stuff, man. I mean, God, you know, I was praying, God, why did you send us to Emeryville, this little tiny city that doesn't even show up on a map, that nobody in the world has ever heard of it. And the only thing people know about Emeryville is Pixar and Ikea. But, but God has been speaking to me about that. Emeryville is going to be known for more than Pixar and Ikea. And, and I just want to give you this little tidbit. I believe the Lord has shown me that the next, the next level of technological development is going to be in bullet train technology. That they're going to develop bullet trains that can go from here to New York in like an hour or an hour and a half or two hours I mean it's going to be you can go to LA in like 15-20 minutes I mean they're going to develop that bullet train tech this might sound strange to you but I'm gonna say it anyway I don't care if you think I'm crazy (laughs) I believe bullet train technology will even make airplanes obsolete airplane travel obsolete and I believe the Lord has shown me that Emeryville will be a major hub for bullet train travel that people will will be able to come from all over the country on bullet trains and they'll get right off the train at Embryville. We're going to have members in this church that come from New York that just get on a bullet train early Sunday morning and get off the bullet train. And they're from all over the country. That's why God put us here because God saw in the future that this is going to be a hub where people are going to come from all over the world and God is going to pour out revival in this house. And we're going to see a revival spread across the nation. Do you know there was a guy named Gunnar Vingren? He and his Buddy in the Azusa, they were a part of the Azusa Street outpouring in 1906. And in one of those meetings in the Azusa Street outpouring, they heard a woman speaking in tongues standing in front of them. These two guys were from Sweden. And this woman was saying, para, 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 while she was speaking in tongues. Para, 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 para. Both of them at the same time felt like the Lord was speaking to them about a city called Para. And so they were like, God is telling us to go to this city called Para. So, they go to the library and they find a globe and they search for the city of Para on the globe and they find the city of Para and it's in Brazil. So, they go back to the church and they say, God's calling us to go to Para, Brazil and preach the gospel. They took an offering for them in the service that night and sent them off. They had to go from Los Angeles to New York to, to get down to Brazil. When they got to New York, They went to a service in New York at a Pentecostal church and there was a missionary there who was sharing his whole vision and heart and what God had called him to do. And the Lord spoke to them and said, give your entire offering to that missionary. Everything that was raised for you to go to Brazil, give it to that missionary. So they put it in the plate and they left that service penniless that night. No money to get down to Brazil. A woman walked up to them on the street with an envelope and handed it to them out of nowhere and it was all the money they needed to get to Para Brazil. When they got down to Pará, Brazil, and started to preach the gospel in this little Baptist church, first the Baptist pastor said, Yeah, you can use our sanctuary after we're done. Well, all of a sudden, all of the members of his church stopped going to his morning service and waited for their service in the <laughs> afternoon. So he said, no, you've got to go down to the basement. So they went down to the basement, and it didn't stop anything. Pretty soon, there were hundreds and hundreds of people that were coming to their services in this basement of this Baptist church in Para, Brazil, and the Holy Spirit was falling on them in power, and people were being baptized in the Holy Spirit and speaking in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance, and the nation of Brazil had never seen that before. And God was ministering through them in signs and wonders, healings and mighty deeds. Lives were being dramatically changed changed by the power of God. And finally, this pastor threw him out of his church because they were overtaking his church. And he said, look, Gunnar Vingren and, and, and his buddy, they were saying, look, why don't you just receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit? You know, why don't you just receive the fullness of the Spirit of God? There's nothing that would make us one Bet more powerfully than if you receive the same Holy Spirit that we're moving in and you begin to move in signs and wonders. We're not trying to take anything from you. We're offering something to you. But he threw them out. And so they began to preach in the streets. They found other places to minister. What they discovered was that the city of Pará in Brazil was a coal mining town. People came from all over the nation of Brazil to the city of Pará for nine months out of the year to, to mine the coal mines. And they were ministering to all of these coal miners and then for three months they would go back to their towns and back to their cities and they started planting churches. And pretty soon churches were planted. Pentecostal churches were all over the nation of Brazil because God, when He sent these two men, He sent them to the hub. He sent them to the central gathering place in that nation. He sent them to the strategic location in that nation for overtaking the entire nation with the power of God. And when God sent us to Emeryville, make no mistake, you say, how how come we're not just a little community church? How come we're a commuter church where people come from all over the Bay Area? Do you know we have people, we've even had people drive here from Sacramento every Sunday to be a part of our services. We got people who drive here from Rowland Park and from, you know, from from all over the Bay Area to be a part of our services. Why is it? Because a church alive is worth the drive. And because what God is doing in this church, in this city, in this place, is strategic for a sovereign move of the Spirit of God that's not only going to spread across the Bay Area, but it's going to spread across this nation, and it's going to spread across the world. And indeed, it has already begun to spread across the world. And so I'm stirred up with a new fire. As as I've I've come back from this this gathering place in in South Korea, and we saw the power of the Holy Spirit move, and some of the things the Lord has been speaking in my heart is that we're, we're too constantly moved by the things that we see. you see the thing is you cannot be moved by the things that God shows you if you're already moved by the things that you see in the natural. Now the Bible says that we should not be moved by what we by the things that are seen but that the things that are unseen. we should not look to the things that are seen but the things that are unseen for the things that are seen are temporary but the things that are unseen are eternal if you're constantly moved by what you see by the temporary things that you see, you cannot at the same time be moved by the eternal things that are unseen. And you, we have to make a decision to turn our backs on some things this morning. That is, if you're going to lay hold of the, your one thing in the Spirit, the one thing that God would sovereignly give you by the Spirit, there's some stuff you've got to turn your back on. Look at your neighbor say, you've got to turn your back on some stuff. Now, in, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 5, the Bible says, By faith, Enoch was taken away. By faith, Enoch was taken away. The King James Version says, By faith, Enoch was translated. Yes. The word in the Greek is literally translated as when you translate from one language to another language. Now, how many of you speak more than one language? You speak more than one. What language do you speak? Khmer, or Cambodian. Okay, so you speak Khmer. Now, is, which is your first language, English or Khmer? Khmer? Khmer is your first language. So when you speak English, do you have to translate from Khmer into English in your brain? But it, When you first started learning English, you thought in Khmer, but you had to translate into English. And when you became fluent in English, you knew you were fluent because you could think in English and speak in English. You no longer had to translate. You were fluent. Now, what happens is most of us walk in the flesh... But then have to translate life into the spirit. Mm -hmm. So we have to ask questions like, what would Jesus do? And when we ask questions like, what would Jesus do? What we're trying to do is translate our flesh walk into a spirit walk. We know that God's calling us to walk in the spirit, but we can't yet think in that language. We still think in the language of the flesh, but then we try to translate it into the language of the spirit. Now, the scripture says in Hebrews eleven five 5, that by faith, Enoch was translated so that he did not see death. That is, the translation was so thorough that he no longer thought in the flesh, but he could think in the spirit and speak in the spirit. He became fluent in the spirit rather than speaking the spirit as a second language. Now, we've got too many SSLs in the body of Christ. Spirit as a second language. We speak the flesh fluently. We think in the flesh. We act in the flesh. We speak in the flesh. We do in the flesh. The flesh is our first language. It's our native tongue. But God wants to translate us out of the flesh and into the spirit so that we think in the spirit and we speak in the spirit and we walk in the spirit and we keep in step with the spirit and we act in the spirit. And what we do is thoroughly and completely and fluently in the spirit. And what we find is that when you are in the flesh, the realm of the flesh is the realm of deterioration or the realm of corruption, the realm of mortality, the realm of perishability. When you are in the flesh, you are governed by the laws of thermodynamics. And one of the laws of thermodynamics teaches that everything is moving from complexity to simplicity. Translated, that means everything is dying. Everything around us is dying. And when you're thinking in the flesh and perceiving in the flesh and speaking in the flesh, all you see is death. You begin to expect everything to die around you. And you're not surprised when things die around you. And you're speaking death to the things around you. You go through a struggle in your marriage and you say, our marriage is dying. And you go through a physical struggle in your body and you say, I'm dying. You feel a little pain in your head and you say, I'm dying. And you, the, the, the markets and the economy start to shake and you say, see, I'm about to lose my job. And, and see, the housing market's about to crash and, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lose everything. I'm going to lose everything. When you're thinking in the flesh, all you see is death. But the scripture says by faith Enoch was translated so that he could not see, did not see death. Now I know that we understand that, that, that this is referring to the biblical passage that talks about Enoch and it says he walked with God and then he was no more. That is God took him away. But I'm telling you that before God took him away, he had already been translated. I'm saying that before he went up to be with the Lord, he had already been translated. He had stopped seeing death long before he was taken up into glory. And this word is, see, we read this and say, well, that has nothing to do with me. I don't expect to go up in a chariot of fire. I'm going to die like everybody else. No, this word is for you. And it's for me that God is saying by the Holy spirit, he wants to translate us so that we stop seeing death. I mean, you look at death, but you don't see it. You only see life. You look at things that are dying, but you don't even see death. You only see life. You see life coming back from the grave because you begin to view all of life through the lens of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And what the resurrection of Jesus Christ teaches us is that even if I go to the grave, death can't keep me in the ground. Even if something dies, it's only to fulfill a divine purpose because Jesus said, unless the kernel of wheat falls to the earth and dies, it will bear much fruit. But if it falls to the earth and dies, it does not remain alone. It's going to bear much fruit. And so when I see death, I don't see death. I see fruitfulness. When I see something dying, I see new life. Because he said he will not abandon my soul to the grave. Neither will he suffer his holy one to see corruption. He has made known to me the path of life. He will fill me with joy in his presence. With everlasting pleasure at his right hand. Now the thing we need to understand is that we live in the world. But we're not supposed to live of the world. While we are in the world, we're not of it. We don't belong to this realm. We are supposed to be strangers and aliens in the world and citizens of the kingdom of heaven. But why is it that when Holy Spirit stuff starts happening and manifestations of the Spirit starts happening, we start saying it's a strange thing. Now, it's one thing if an unbeliever sees the manifestation of the Spirit and says it's strange. strange. But when believers in Jesus Christ see the Holy Spirit doing something and believers say, oh, that's strange. That's weird. No, you're supposed to be a citizen of that realm. That's supposed to be normal to you. When folks get healed and believers say, that's strange. <laughs> when folk, when the physical body begins to shake under the power of God and believers say, what's wrong with that person? He's shaking. That's strange. When the Holy Spirit comes so powerfully that people can't even stand on their feet, they fall to the ground under the power of God and believers say, ooh, that's weird. That's strange. What do you mean that's strange? You're supposed to be a citizen of that kingdom. That's supposed to be natural to you. You're supposed to expect heavenly stuff to happen around you. You're supposed That's supposed to be normative for you. But then we walk in the world and we see all kinds of stuff on TV. And we hear all kinds of language. And we see all kinds of sin. And we go, that's normal. Mm. Yeah, that's everywhere. Everybody's doing it. It's so normal for us. The flesh world is so normal for us. And the spirit world is so unfamiliar to us. To the extent that we have become citizens of the earth and strangers and aliens in heaven. And some of us, God's going to do us a favor by not letting us into the kingdom because he doesn't want us to walk around heaven going, ooh, this is strange. Oh, this is so weird. He says, well, then let me leave you in outer darkness where everything's familiar to you. Because when the light shines in the darkness, the darkness says, that's strange. Come on, somebody. (laughs) By faith, Enoch was translated. So that he did not see death. God wants to translate you so that you no longer see death. Now in Acts chapter 9 uh, verse 36. What's happening is Peter is on a little itinerant ministry run. And he's got this miracle flow going. I mean there's miracles happening everywhere. And this guy named Aeneas. He's in the city of, of Joppa. And he he finds this man named Aeneas who's lame. And Peter looks at him and says, Aeneas, arise, for the Lord Jesus Christ makes you whole. And Aeneas jumped up and he starts running around. He was completely healed. And the scripture says, word of this miracle spread throughout the entire region of Joppa. And many turned to the Lord. How many know that that's evangelism? How many know that that's what evangelism is supposed to look like? When the report of what God is doing precedes the steps of the believer. See, we think evangelism happens when we go somewhere. Let me tell you something. Evangelism happens when the report of what God has done goes somewhere ahead of you. And when you go into a place and they've already heard about the works of the Lord that have been happening through you, now we're talking about the witness of Jesus Christ, the testimony of Jesus, because it's the testimony of what God has done. Well, over in the city of Lydda, we see in Acts chapter 9, verse 36, uh, there was a woman by the name of Tabitha, and she, her, she had another name. It was Dorcas. Dorcas. Very unfortunate names. And, <laughs> and we find in the New Testament sometimes. And, and, and Dorcas was a widow, but she was, she was always doing good. And she died. Now, most of the time when people die, that's the end of it. I mean, how many of you, when one of your loved ones died, you think to yourself, let me go find a man of God to raise him, raise her from the dead. Matter of fact, in most cases in our culture, if you had a crazy cousin who said, I believe God to raise her from the dead, I'm going to go pray right now. Half the family members would be going, now you stop that, that foolishness. Don't you come in here upsetting the family now. Mm -hmm. Matter of fact, when somebody's even dying, I've learned that as men and women of God, we got to even be careful how we request to pray for their healing. Because at a certain point, the family has just accepted this person's going to die. But you come and say, I want to pray for their healing. Now, don't you come in here talking that foolishness. But this person died, and the family was going to accept it until they heard that Peter was nearby in the city of Joppa. And they said, maybe the fact that this man of God is nearby, yes. maybe this is a sign that God's going to do something for us. They understood that they had access to. To a man of God that was so mighty and so powerful that if they would reach for God to do something, God would do something through through him. They believed it. And so they sent messengers to find him. And when they found him, they implored him to please come with them. And when he went with them to Joppa, he found everybody in the house holding tunics and robes that she had made. And weeping over her dead body. And Peter, what he does at that moment is something that seems strange and seems heartless. He put them all out. He says, okay, I've seen and I've heard. That's enough. All of y'all get out. Can you imagine somebody walking in the house where your family member is lying there dead and the family standing around that family member weeping? And he says, if you want me to do anything in here, y'all gots to go. Isn't that the same thing Jesus did in Matthew chapter 9 when he came to the house where the little girl, Jairus' daughter, was dead? He put them all out. Because you cannot allow mourning to remain in the same room where victory is about to break forth. He knew that if they were in the room, he would be moved by the sound of their mourning. And I cannot reach heaven... While at the same time I'm being moved by the sound of your mourning. I have to shut out what's happening in the earth in order to begin to connect with what's happening in heaven. Amen. Peter knew that in heaven God did not look at this woman and see death. Because that's not what God said sees. He's the God of the living and not the dead. He knew that God saw life and he also knew that if I'm going to see life then I have to shut myself off. I've got to turn my back on death. And he put them out and he locked the door. Now here's what you and I would have done. We would have went over to the bed and grabbed Dorcas and said, Dorcas, in Jesus' name, rise up! And we would have done that for a couple hours and then quit and opened the door and said, sorry guys, it didn't work. Then you look real stupid. Everybody out, I'm about to work a miracle. And everybody leaves. A couple hours later, you open the door. I tried my best. <laughs> Sweat. <laughs> I gave it my best shot. I did all I could. Go ahead and have the funeral. My bad. <laughs> he didn't immediately address Dorcas. It says that he knelt down and prayed. Look at this, I'm gonna read it. In verse 40 of Acts chapter 9, Peter sent them all out of the room. Then he got down on his knees and prayed. You didn't see it in the text, but what it actually says is, he turned his back on the dead woman and got down on his knees and prayed. Mm. How do I know that? Because the next phrase says, then turning toward the dead woman. Now, why did he need to turn toward her? He had to turn toward her because he first turned away from her. He walked in the room and he saw death and he said, that's not right. I can't bring anything from heaven down into this realm while I'm looking at death. When I'm looking at death, I'm moved by it. Sometimes you can be standing in faith to a degree that goes beyond your wildest imagination. But then you walk in a room and look death in the face and it's like your faith gets socked in the stomach. It's like the devil's taunting you saying, there's nothing you can do here. And Peter turned his back to death and got on his knees and prayed. And I'm here to tell you that he did not pray about her. You see, some of you are wondering why you can't break through anything in the prayer closet. It's because you're facing death and praying against it. And you're trying to break through your opposition in the prayer closet. Instead of turning your back on it and just connecting with your maker. Now, you know, I told you before about these Korean guys that I was tutoring in English when I was in college, ESL students, and they were all uh, Taekwondo black belts. (laughs) Every one of them was, because they had all been to the Korean military. Every Korean male at 18 years of age or whatever, when they graduate high school, they got to go to the military for a couple years. And many of them had studied Taekwondo since they were little kids. But even those that didn't, they studied it for those two years in the military. And you have to become a black belt. So all of them had their black belts. And so they decided they were going to teach me some Taekwondo. They said, you're teaching us English. We're going to teach you some Taekwondo. I was excited until they started stretching me out. They put sheets of paper under my feet and said, now stand up, do the splits. And those sheets of paper started sliding. (coughs) I could barely walk when I went home. They were like, okay, that's lesson number one. But when I went back one of those days like a fool, they tried to teach me how to break a board. So like here, try to break this board. Ah! I hit it with all my might, nearly broke my hand. And the guy goes, no, 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 watch. And he turns towards, he goes, watch, watch. Pa! It seemed like he barely, I mean, just bah! and that board exploded. Bah! I mean, splintered. I was like, how did you do that? He says, I'll try it again. So mm-hmm. Oh, rigor. You know, my hand is, I mean, my knuckles are bleeding. He goes, No, 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 no. Put two boards together. They put two boards together. He's all, Watch. Pa! <laughs> boom! Both of them exploded. <laughs> I'm like, How did you do that? I mean, it was like he didn't even think about it. Just pa! It was like routine. You know, wake up in the morning, drink your orange juice. Pa! Break a board. <laughs> Go on about your, You know what? I mean, it was just too easy. <laughs> I'm like, how did you do that? He said, it's easy. He said, let me tell you the problem. The problem is that you're aiming at the board. I'm like, well, what are you aiming at? You told (laughs) me to break the board. He goes, no, 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 no. You're aiming at the board. The board is your target, and so you're hitting your target and no further. you got to aim at what's on the other side of the board. you got to punch through the board, not at the board. So just pretend you're trying to hit something that's a foot past the board and the board is just an obstacle in your way. You're not thinking about the board, you're thinking about what's on the other side of it. I was like, oh, (laughs) bah, and that board exploded, blam. I was like, give me two. He said, wait, hold on, hold on. You're not ready for that yet. The reason why you're not pressing through the opposition of the enemy is because you're hitting at it. You're aiming at your problems. You're aiming at your problems. Every day when you get on your knees to pray, all you have in your mind is the problems that you want God to fix and the stuff that's frustrating you. And you wonder why you pray and pray and pray and pray and don't break through it. It's because you're not praying towards life. You're praying at death. See the anointing just knocked that down. The glory of the Lord is so strong in here. Jesus' name. I just got slain in the Spirit. Told you revival was coming. And so if you get on your knees to pray and all you can think of is everything that's going wrong in your life. And everything you want to break and everything you want to change and you're praying against stuff. Oh God, break through this. Oh God, do this. Oh God, change this. Oh God, help me with this. Oh God. And you get up an hour later and you don't feel any better. Let me tell you why. Because you're aiming at the devil instead of at the Lord. You're aiming at stuff you want to shift, but what's on the other side of it? Let me tell you what's on the other side of It's fellowship with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And so if you want to see that thing break, the first thing, even going beyond punching through the board, how about stop punching and turn your back on the board? See, how to break a board in the natural is you punch through it. How to break in the spirit is you turn your back on it. And you pray your way into fellowship with the Father. And when you come into that place of unbroken fellowship with the Father, you turn and command the board to break in Jesus' name. And it breaks. Peter turned his back on Dorcas, got on his knees and prayed. And when he came into that place in the Spirit, I got to tell you about this just for a minute. The Lord began to take me back. See, I've been frustrated with some stuff over the last several months. Some stuff I can't seem to fix. I don't know why this church isn't growing. I mean, we should be at a thousand people by now. After nine years, as good as I preach. (laughs) Come on, somebody. Hey, none of that false humility in here. If you do something well, it's okay for you to know it. <laughs> Why is it we start the service at nine and there's three people in the house? More people on the platform than there is in the house. Worship team just playing their heart out to nobody. Right. Why is that? Why is, like, I've been frustrated by some stuff in the spirit. Like, God, am I a poor leader? Like, what is wrong with me? Because the problem's always at the top. So it's my fault. I got to take responsibility. I can't blame nobody but myself. And I've been praying and saying, God, what is wrong with me? Why can't I shift the atmosphere? There's folks that don't meet with God in my church. Because, see, I was one of those, when I was in Bible college, I was going around telling everybody, wait till you see my church. There's going to be constant revival in my church. People are going to walk in the door of my church, an unbeliever, and hit their face. Just walking through the threshold of the door, the anointing is going to be so strong that they're going to fall on their face and confess Christ. We're not going to have to do no salvation altar call. That's what's going to happen at my church. And I hear about people falling into sin in other churches. Ain't going to be no sin in my church. Because <laughs> the, the conviction of the Holy Spirit is going to be so thick at my church. Right. And the fear of the Lord is going to be so strong at my church. Can't nobody fall into sin. Wait till you see my church. See, I was one of them, them Bible college students. Legs are going to grow out at my church. People going to get new arms at my church. <laughs> Cancer is going to fall off of people's body. People are going to spit out their tumors at my church. That's the, that's the report that's going to go out about my church. And I started saying, Lord, this is my church. Folks falling into sin at my church. I know that happens at somebody else's churches. You know, I'm not going to say no names, but you know, other folks churches that can happen, but that can't happen at my church. How is this the case? And you know what the Lord showed me when I was in Korea? He said, son, your problem is that you're so focused on everything you want to change that you've forgotten about me. Mm -hmm. And when you pray, you're praying at your frustrations instead of to your maker. Mm -hmm. You're praying at the stuff that you want to shift instead of to the one who is able to shift them. You've got to turn your back on the stuff that you want to see change and focus on coming back to your place in me. And then he began to take me back to when I received my calling and the year I answered it. When I was 17 years old and a first year Bible college student. And all I did was pray and seek the face of God. And here's what would happen. I got to tell you about it just for a second. I know we got to close because we got shift and we said every leader's got to be there. (laughs) I would pray and all i was doing was seeking the lord i wasn't trying to change anything shift anything break anything rebuke anything i was just seeking the face of god i would go to my church i would tell my pastor i want to go downstairs and fast and pray and my pastor would say what did you do i mean like, what are you talking about what are you repenting of no 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 i'm not repenting of nothing i just want to seek god's face yeah but what did you do it's like nobody goes down there just to pray no, everybody went down there for punishment because of something they did that they were trying. I said, "Well, no, I just want to seek Him. Mm. Right. I would volunteer to fast and pray." At my church, you only got made to fast and pray when you messed up. You confessed something, three days. There was a punishment that fit the crime, you know. Yeah. But I'd say I want to go down there for a couple days. Why? I just want to seek His face, and I would pray. And I would pray and at a certain point I would come into this place in the spirit where the atmosphere would change. I would come into this place where the air would change. There was a new fragrance. It was the frag. Did you know you can smell the presence of the Lord? I would come into this place where my vision would change. Everything would become clear. And I would come into this place A fellowship with God God, where suddenly I would begin to know things in the Spirit that there's no way I could have known in the natural. And when I would come to that place, I would sit back and just begin to bask in the presence of the Lord. In that place, there was no doubt, no anxiety, no fear, no frustration, no worry, and even no temptation. In that place... And when I would come into that place, even when I left the prayer room, that place would go with me. And wherever I walked, the glory of the Lord would come when I was in that place. And when I would feel that place begin to wane, I'd feel myself coming out of it. I would run back to the prayer room and pray until I came back into that place. And I would live at that place. Pastor Daniels and I were talking about it last night. I lived at that place until I was rocked by rejection. My own church rejected me. I'll tell you the story some other time. But all I was doing was seeking the face of God, and the stuff that was happening through me was causing some of the other pastors in the church to become jealous, and a negative report went out about me all the way up to the top that was a straight lie. And I was thrown out. I was so rocked by that rejection that I slowly but surely began to withdraw from that place, still pursuing my calling, but not my place in the Spirit. I would come into that place in the Spirit where the supernatural would become natural. And the Lord began to deal with me during this trip in Korea, and He reminded me of that place, and He said, Son, I created that place for you, and I created you for that place. And the answer to everything that concerns you in this season, you can make a list of everything that concerns you. It's all in you when you're in that place. You have the power to command it to move when you're in that place. And it'll move. You have the power to shift it. You see, when you turn your back on death and you pray until you come into your place, Peter didn't turn around until he came into that place. We don't even know how long he prayed. It might have been hours. Mm. Until he came into that place, he was waiting for something to happen in the spirit. You see, oftentimes we talk about speaking by faith, but we don't realize that faith is only possible when I'm in the spirit. So often we're trying to believe from the flesh. Over here in the flesh, full of flesh flesh, but commanding stuff and I'm believing this. You ain't believing nothing. Because faith only flows through the Spirit. And when I come into the Spirit, I don't have to struggle to believe. I just believe. When I come into that place in the Spirit, I don't have to battle discouragement. I walk in encouragement. I am encouragement. When I come into my place in the Spirit, I don't have to ask God for confidence. I exude confidence. I know who I am. Because when you come into your place in the Spirit, you are walking in the fullness of two revelations. The revelation of who God is and the revelation of who you are. And the revelation of who God is in you and the revelation of who you are in God. And if you're missing one of those revelations, you fall short. If you only have the revelation of who God is but not who you are, you're walking in despair. If you only have the revelation of who you are, but not who God is, you're walking in pride. But if you know who God is and who you are, and you put those two revelations together, nothing can stop you. Death can't keep you in the ground. No power of the enemy can oppose you. Nothing can stand against you. Nothing can take you down. Nothing can move you from your place because you know who you are and you know who he is. And God spoke to me and said, son... This is your vocation. Come back to that place and learn how to live there. Forget about everything else. And I'm telling you today that if you would make a decision that you're going to find your place in the Spirit and you're going to forget about everything else, that you're going to turn your back on death until you're translated and you can look at it and not see it. When Peter turned around and he saw Dorcas, he didn't see death anymore. He saw life from the dead. And he didn't pray for her. He spoke to her, Dorcas, arise. Same thing Jesus did when he walked in and saw the little girl, Jairus's daughter. He said, I don't know what you're crying about. She's not dead. She's just asleep. And they ridiculed him for seeing in the spirit. Because all they saw was in the natural. She's dead. But Jesus sees in the spirit. She's sleeping. And I'll prove it to you by waking her up. He said it. He said the same thing about Lazarus. He said, our brother Lazarus is asleep. He's fallen asleep. But I'm going to wake him up. Let me tell you something, in the spirit you don't even see death. Even your lost loved ones, even the loved ones that have died, they're not dead, they're just sleeping. Why? Because the scripture says, Paul says, I say to you by the word of the Lord that we shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. For the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. God wants to translate you today. You've been seeing death. Some of you here, all you see is death. And when you stop seeing death and you begin to see life, all you see is one thing. You know what my one thing is? My spiritual one thing that I'm getting ready to commit to for the next 90 days, to grow into it, is to learn how to live at that place. To learn how to come into that place and live there and stay there. To come into the house of God and dwell there all the days of my life. You know, people say, don't become so heavenly minded that you're of no earthly good. Let me tell you something. If you're of no earthly good, you're not heavenly minded. But if you're completely heavenly minded... Oh, you're of infinite earthly good. You can speak to death and reverse it. You can speak to sickness and heal it. You can speak to demons and command them to leave. You can cause axe heads to float. You can, you can work miracles. You can walk on water. You can multiply bread and fish. Why? Because Jesus says, if you believe in me, the works that I do, will you do also. I'm telling you, we are going to learn as a body to live supernatural lives. It's time for this body to wake up out of its slumber and recognize that it is not about having a spiritual pastor. It's about having a spiritual church. It's about every member of the church from the front row to the back. I'm talking about a church where even the most heck of fake backslidden believer in the house is powerful enough to cast out demons and heal sickness and walk on water. That's the kind of church I'm talking about. And that's the kind of church you're going to be. Oh, I'm telling you, we are going somewhere in this next season. We are going somewhere in this next season. We are going somewhere and we're going somewhere corporately. We're going somewhere as a body in this next season. It's no longer about my ministry. Now it's about yours. It's no longer about my place. It's about yours. Are you ready to take your place? Are you ready to rise up into your destiny? Are you ready to lay claim to your inheritance? That's what I'm talking about. You're going to learn who you are in this next season. And you're going to learn how to live at that place. Let's pray. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth, I release your blessing over this house. Hallelujah. 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 Father, I just sense your spirit welling up on the inside of me right now. I just sense your spirit welling up. And God, I thank you that in this season, you're about to roar into this house. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. We say come. We say come. God, right now we turn our back on every power of the devil that would discourage and disappoint. It's all a distraction. It's all a distraction. Every power of demonic intimidation. It's just a distraction. We're not going to look to it anymore. And I say to each and every one of you by the word of the Lord, you're going to find your place now. You're going to find your place. And the things of the Spirit are no longer going to be strange to you. The great travesty is that Christians look for a place to go where there's nothing strange, no move of the Spirit. God wants to translate you so that you stop seeing death. That you're no longer a stranger and alien in heaven, but you're a stranger and an alien in the earth. That you no longer look at the things of the kingdom of God and say, I don't get it. But you start looking at the things of this world and saying, I don't get it. God wants to make the spirit your primary language, your first language. The flesh is your second language. You even forget how to speak the flesh. You forget how to think the flesh. You've been translated out of that. You've been translated out of that and it was by faith. It was by faith. Believing that those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Those who belong to Christ have put that to death. It's old. It's old school. That's the old school, and you don't walk in it anymore. Now you walk in the new school, and the new school is the school of grace. The school of grace. So, Father, in Jesus' name, I lift up this body, every member of it, in the name of Jesus. I call each and every one by the Spirit of God to a higher place. You will no longer be satisfied with the place where you have walked. Now your heart and ears are open to the call of the Spirit of God. He wants to take you to another place. And now you're going. Now you're coming. It's time. It's time. In Jesus' name, I curse every work of Satan over every life. Every power of bondage over every life. There's some in this room right now, you've been so frustrated and so discouraged. Stuff in your life that you've tried so hard to change by your own power. Stuff you've tried to break through. But I remove that discouragement from over your life right now. I remove it. I break it from over your life right now. And I say that you have power. And you're going to walk in power. But you're going to find that power by turning your back on it. Stop praying about it for a while. Stop asking the Lord to change it. And simply begin to focus on Him and say, Take me into fellowship with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Take me into that place. Take me to that place. That place where I can be with you. Where you can make me like you. Wrap me in your arms. I speak blessing. I speak strength and encouragement over your life today. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen.